Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast, where we explore popular practices, songs, and ideas in the modern church world in the light of Sola Scriptura and Tota Scriptura. I'm Cody Fields, president of the Noseminster family of guitar effects. Check us out at westminstereffects.com, and also make sure you join in the discussion at the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast Lounge on Facebook. You can thank, thank uh, John Ross for that really, really long name. Uh, John is not able to be with us today, uh, but in person we do have. This is Bradley Cox, pastor at Resurrection Church, Greer, South Carolina. And uh, church this weekend, uh, we had a little adventure. <laughs> well, well, my, my parents were in town. Your parents were in town. Uh, Padre played bass. Yeah. Um, and we also uh, recorded an episode of All Seven Days. At my house, yeah. At your house with, with Padre. So yeah. uh, I joined us for the roast fest <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> for, regarding yeah. the parenting episode. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, that was a lot of fun. It was. Um, and you also played, like we, you know, us two and my dad all played. Mm-hmm. Um, that all went well. It and, it's and always good to see your dad. Yeah, I, I concur. <laughs> hurry up, Padre, mm. hurry up and move back. Mm. Um, you know, whenever, whenever that can happen, hurry up. Mm. Um, but uh, we also got out of Romans 9. We did. Got into Romans 10. We did. And it was basically just rehearsing the gospel, wasn't it? Yeah, that was the approach I took. I mean, um, you know, the when Paul... After laying out such, you know, I, I, I hesitate to use the word hard truth, but it is truth that, you know, at least at first could offend the senses when, when he talks about oh, yeah. having mercy on whom he has mercy and hardening whom he wills and vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, desiring to make known his wrath and show his power. Um, Brings up a lot of questions. Lots of questions. Addresses a lot of hard issues to wrestle with particularly in in the American church context. That's right. And but I think the key of Romans 9 is uh in verse 6, you know, um the word of God has not failed and we know it has not failed because God has done all of this, vessels mm-hmm. of wrath, having mercy on whom he wills in order to make known the riches of his glory for the vessels of mercy and I think 10 then moves into the experience, really, of the vessels of mercy in coming to faith. In that we, you know, Christ obtained the righteousness of God, or not obtained, but he made the righteousness of God available for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and that righteousness is applied to us through believing. Um, and now Paul doesn't address in the first half of chapter 10, how it is that we come to believing. That's not his goal, right? You know, all who believe will be saved. Right. All right. But Paul doesn't address how we come to believe, but yet the, the, one of the glory, most glorious aspects of the gospel is that we believe in our heart, we confess with our mouth and we're saved. That's it. And that's for the vessels of mercy. That is just to me, something that we've got We've got to continually rehearse and enjoy and celebrate and and bask in, um, and so that's what that's what we tried to do on Sunday was really just rehearse that and then you know uh, let the joy of our salvation increase and um, you know as Paul talks about the all who believe will not be put to shame, mm-hmm. um, and that's that's just a beautiful part of Romans. Yeah, it 
it's kind of funny because I don't know why this popped in my head, but there's there's a group uh, they call themselves the Black Hebrew Israelites, and they claim to be like this lost tribe of Israel or true Israel or whatever, mm. and they claim that best case scenario for white Christians is is they get enslaved when Jesus returns. Um, so you, that just flies in the face of, you know, those who believe won't be put to shame. Right. It's <laughs> right. You know, our, our hope isn't, you know, that we isn't just that we don't go to hell. And then, you know, we happen to become slaves of benevolent dictators. Yeah. You know, it's just one of those more absurd examples. Yeah. Uh, but our, our hope is, you know, we won't be put to shame. God will, you know, those whom he justified, he also glorified. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, speaking of it as it's already been done, yeah. you know, even getting to the lamb uh, slain before the foundation of the world, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, yeah. One other thing I noticed uh, this week is that was the shortest sermon you have preached in a Not long the time. <laughs> in a Not long time. I, 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 I'm, I, sure, I'm sure somebody else noted that. <laughs> yeah, I did preach shorter Sunday. I, I just... You know, I looked at my last three or four sermons and, you know, they were 56 minutes, 54 minutes. Um, and so they, they were getting, you know, pretty long. And we were, you know, we were just dealing with some stuff that you got to you got to spend some time on. Right. And so I thought, well, this week I'm just going to, you know, go a little shorter. Um, was kind of my thought. And, you know, it was Labor Day weekend and I didn't want to, you know, not do right by the text. I I feel like, you know, we still did that, but I did sort of intentionally try to shorten it up a bit just because, (laughs) man. um, But, you know, like you go look at uh, R.C. Sproul's sermons when he's preaching through a gospel. um, He'll go like 30 minutes. 27, 28 minutes. And then you go to his Roman sermons you're pushing an hour. Um, right. And, and I think it, I think it requires that I, I do. I, I, I'm not a fan of preaching long sermons just to preach long sermons. But right. When, when you have the opportunity to go 30, 40 minutes, um, sure. Take it. It would be my advice to preachers. <laughs> take it when you can. Yeah, um, it's, it's one of those things where you know, give enough time to the, to the text yeah. where if, if the text only calls for 20 minutes, then, Cool. Yeah. Don't add ten or fifteen more minutes just no. because you can. Well, Romans is a hard book to take small bites of. Yeah, really, really hard because Paul's thoughts cover chapters, not just chunks of verses. Yeah, you know, and so it's it, one of the struggles that I've had teaching through Romans. This is the first time I've taught through Romans. Mm-hmm. Um, is okay. How much do I bite off? Yep, and it at least in some way be a complete thought. I don't, I don't have a problem leaving people hanging a little bit for next week. Right. But at the same time, you, you have to be careful that you don't leave people in a vacuum because you didn't, you weren't able in, in the amount of time you have to cover enough material. So it's, that's a challenge preaching through Romans, but Sunday I felt like I could keep it, you know, under 40 and I did, I think it was 39 and some change. Yeah. Yeah, and that I think that kind of tees up 
uh, our our topic for today. I wish John was was here so he could you know give us some Lutheran Lutheran thoughts about the lectionary and mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. Uh, but I wanted to talk about Bible reading plans, uh, how we go about them. And that was kind of inspired. Uh, I was listening to uh, another podcast where where a pretty well-known worship leader who will remain nameless uh was talking about you know their we'll use their incorrectly (laughs) even though it's plural uh just to keep it as vague as possible talking about his or her walk with god and said you know talking about intimacy with god you know because god is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path and it's like wait a minute that's not what it says no um, it's God's word is a, is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. Right. And, uh, so it really just kind of got me thinking about, um, you know, often, and this isn't to slam anybody. It's a lot of times our worship leaders just aren't very well versed in the Bible. Yeah. And, um, you know, and that's not even just worship leaders. That's a lot of American Christians in general. I think it's something like, five or 10% of American Christians have read the entire Bible, something like that. Um, And it's like, Hey, let's talk about how we go about reading the Bible. Uh, It made me make that seem a little less intimidating Mm -hmm. for people because a lot of people think, Oh, well I have to do this through the Bible in a year plan starting on January 1st. (laughs) I have to go exactly by this plan and not, deviate at all yeah um so how about you start us off what's your typical not not necessarily studying for a sermon right but but your own personal i'm gonna read the bible for my own benefit well let, let me say this before i tell people yeah yeah I yeah do. um i i would not make a blanket statement to anybody and everybody and say, do what I do. Right. Right. This, this mean, is just an example. This is just an example. I'm imperfect. My Bible reading is imperfect. Um, and I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't lay my rhythm on someone else yeah, and yeah. say, this is exactly what you should do. Um, the, the big point is whether you're reading a chapter a day or, yeah. or 15 chapters a day is get scripture in context yeah. regularly. Don't yank a verse out of context and be like, yeah. all right, that's my, mm-hmm. my one thing. <laughs> yeah. So I think there's two, two big questions that I think everybody can ask when, when they're going to you know, endeavor to read through Scripture systematically, which I would say be systematic. Don't be random yeah. Yeah. Um, in terms of like, you know, okay, let me read a couple of verses here today, and then tomorrow I'll read a couple of verses there. I think... I think the Bible is is meant to be read in sequence, though I'm not necessarily, I'll say it this way, I personally don't like the read through the Bible plan in a year, mm-hmm. uh, because that gets me into a mode of trying to get something completed, rather hmm. than, you know, it's like, you know, if you've ever watched uh, or read anything about what bodybuilders do when they eat, eating hmm. is pure function. Yeah. It's not yeah. for enjoyment. It is, I have to eat this much food and mm-hmm. eat this many calories, and I have to eat this particular kind of food this many times mm-hmm. a day in order to get more muscle. Right. In order to get there. And so it, it, there's no, I, you know, I 
It's basically utilitarian. It's very utilitarian. Um, I don't think the Bible is meant to be read in a utilitarian kind of way, yep. as though the quantity is the main point. Um, mm-hmm. So for me, uh, like, for example, right now, I, I have been just swimming in the waters of Romans and the Apostle Paul so much in sermon prep that I have just found lately for the last few weeks this insatiable hunger to read the Gospels. Like, yeah. I just, that's just what my soul is craving personally right mm-hmm. now is I want to hear Jesus. You know, there's, I even told my wife um, the other day, I was like, I just, I need Paul to be quiet for a little bit um, in, in my personal <laughs> journey right now. I, I love Paul. I'm not diminishing the epistles in any way, but I have just been craving the Gospels. And so in my personal reading right now, that's where I'm at. And I this morning I got through about half a chap half of the first chapter of the Gospel of John. I'd been reading Matthew and now I I started John this morning. And which which you talking <laughs> talking about Sproul's sermons through the gospels being, you know, 27, 28 minutes. The first half of John, of, Good Lord. Of John one, mm-hmm. that's going to be like a three hour sermon. right? Exactly. <laughs> and I did not begin the gospel of John this morning thinking, OK, I'm going to try to get a chapter or two chapters. Mm-hmm. I read and I read, I think, the first three or four verses. And then I just stopped and started chewing on it. Yeah. Really hard, like what it is that was there. And then I read a few more verses and I got, I got caught up. I got caught up in actually, um, verse 11, I think it is of chapter 11, uh, where it talks about, um, let me just pull it up here real quick just so that we have a example, but, um, John chapter one, verse 11 so he came to his own, and his his own people did not receive him. Mm-hmm. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. So there are unbelieving ones, yep. and then there are believing ones. And the believing ones um, were given the right to become the children of God. The believing ones received him. And so the question then is, is who are the believing ones? And then look at verse 13, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so I made this connection between uh, the beginning of verse 12, but all who did receive him were those who were born, verse 13, not of blood, nor the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. Mm-hmm. Those who received, those who believed were born of God. The, that connection between those yep. two or three verses, just like was, it was, it was so awesome. It was so refreshing. Yeah. And I know that, right. But yet you, you just start to see those kinds of things. And so that's about as far as I got in the gospel of John this morning, mm-hmm. about 45 minutes to an hour of, of prayer and meditation, reading scripture. And so I, for me, it's a feel thing. It's a, mm-hmm. what is my soul craving? Um, and, and I, and I do think at times about like what, what parts of the Bible have I been 
have I not been living in enough? You know, yeah. Do I need to get some of the Old Testament? The, the minor I, prophets. <laughs> yeah, do I need to? Do I need to stretch myself in that way? And I, I do. I do ask myself those questions from time to time. Um, but right now, it's really just about that. Is I want to. I want to be with Jesus. I want to hear Him. I want to sit at His feet. I want to watch Him. I want to. I want to. I want to abide. You know, yeah. That's one of the big yeah. themes in the Gospel of John. Is is just. Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. So I, that's where I feel like I'm being led by the Lord right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's where I'm living in scripture. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, I guess for, for my own personal stuff, uh, what I have is I, I found uh, a chart of every chapter in the Bible that Ligonier made. Mm-hmm. And um, so you can go at your own pace. You can kind of set your own schedule. And then as you read a chapter, you take it off. Mm-hmm. Um, so my goal at the beginning of the year was to read the entire Bible plus the New Testament an extra time. Mm-hmm. And I kind of calculated all the stuff. And that becomes, I think, if I remember right, about three chapters of the Old Testament per day. And then one and a half to two is like 1.7 chapters of the New mm-hmm. Testament a day. Um, I don't think I'm going to hit that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's tough. And, and I read relatively fast. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've kind of been having to reorient. Uh, but my wife, Kristen, has uh, she has a friend who has said, hey, do you want to do some Bible reading plans together? Um, and so that kind of caused me to look back. Let me pull it up where if, uh, if you pull out the wisdom literature and I counted that, I didn't count Job for that Mm -hmm. because reading one chapter of Job can be disorienting. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. Uh, so I counted Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes and Song of Songs. So I pulled that out as its own thing and said, it, it would probably be a good idea to do one chapter of that a day. Now, obviously you get to Psalm 119 might end up breaking that up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, like having that understanding, but if you want to get through the entire Bible in a year and do a chapter a day of the wisdom stuff, it's about three chapters a day, Yeah. Uh, which usually isn't going to be all that difficult. You know, if mm. you, if you look at stuff like second or third John, mm-hmm plow through that if you're if all you're doing is reading and you're not chewing yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, but but this just saying hey an average of three hours a day i think is helpful because if you get hung up after well not hung up but if you just stop after 13 verses like you did and need to chew have at it yeah um there's not, nothing dogmatic you don't want to be legalistic about it right um it's you know the bible says let the word of christ dwell in you richly it's going to be different for everybody. It is. It might be a chapter a day. It might like some people probably need to read 10 chapters a day. And that, and that's a good thing. It is. Um, so like I'm, I'm not, I'm also not a big fan of, of the, Hey, January 1st, you're reading Genesis one and Genesis two. And mm-hmm. what I really don't like, and I did this, uh, last year and quit halfway through and just kind of reoriented again was one of those where it's, you have an old Testament reading a day. You have something from the Psalms or Proverbs every day. You have something from the gospels every day and you have something from the rest of the new Testament and you're just jumping around mm. so much yeah. that you can't really get focused in on something mm. and, and, you know, get pinpoint precision and accuracy of what is going on in this text. And I think that's important. There's a lot of talk um, right now about 
or there's a there's a school of thought that you in order to read the Bible well, you have to know the big story of the Bible. Right. And right. It, I heard one pastor use the analogy of, you know, it's like putting a puzzle together and you need the box top in front of you to see the whole picture mm-hmm. in order to put the puzzle pieces together well. And I just don't like that. I don't think that's I don't think that's helpful sure. because I want to. You know, where in Scripture do you find the big story of the Bible? Where where is that summary? Like, mm-hmm. where 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 are you going to go and go? Okay, this whole thing, you know, this this it, it it's it means this. Now, not to say that there aren't uh, themes that we could be aware of, or you know, essential truths that really mm-hmm. govern. Um, you, and you're not decrying like a Christocentric. No, no, certainly right. not. Certainly not. But because I'm sure somebody just took it that way. <laughs> no, I, I'm not decrying a Christocentric reading of Scripture. But I am saying that when you read Genesis 12 through 14 and you read the story of Abraham, there are things to learn about God right there that you can zero in right there and focus. Yep. And I, I think I think it adds an intimidation factor to people when they read the Bibles that I've got to know what this whole book is about before I read any of it. Yeah. And that, yeah. I just don't think that's helpful. Um, I think that someone can begin in Genesis or begin in a gospel and read and be just experience um, joy and, and life, you know, from the words of God, you know, um, all of it is inspired. All of mm-hmm. it is the word of God. And yes, there are, you know, we, we went in Romans 10, we went through a passage where Paul takes Deuteronomy 30 yeah, and he inserts Christ into the text. So yep. Paul's helping us there, but I think you can still read Deuteronomy 30 and be enriched, even if you right. don't know what Paul says about Deuteronomy 30 right. in Romans 10. Right. So it's, uh, that's that's what I mean by that. Um, yeah, is, there's there's something to be said, obviously, for you know reading a little blurb on you know this is when it, when it was written. This is the overall theme. Like, there's nothing wrong with that, but there's also a lot to gain from just opening the book and reading it. Mm-hmm. Um, to say that you absolutely have to know every cultural context and all of that ultimately results in denying the sufficiency of scripture exactly it, it, on accident. Yeah. But it does. Right. Well, like when, when Abraham meets up with Melchizedek, I mean, people, mm-hmm. people go crazy over Melchizedek. Who was this guy? Yeah. What's was he on? a Christophany exactly. or whatever? Exactly. What's going on there. And, and I think the beauty of that particular story, that part of Abraham's story is Abraham's learning to trust God and learning who this God is and what he's like. And, mm-hmm meeting up with Melchizedek, I mean, if you, if you, if you didn't know anything else about the Bible and you read this encounter that here's this guy who's a high priest of the most high God and he blesses Abraham, that how that must, how that must have impacted Abraham in the moment Mm -hmm. that he, he realized, look, I'm not the only one in on this. Yeah. That God, exactly. God's bigger than these little interactions that I've had with him about mm-hmm. this land that he's going to give me, that he's still trying to figure out what that means and wh- you know, where that's going to be. And he's, he's being led by God when God speaks to him, and he's being led by God when God doesn't speak to him. Right. And, and it shows one of the cool things I think about about that passage is it shows, like you said, Abraham wasn't alone in this. It's, it's not like the entire world was nothing but pagans running around and then God just yanks Abraham out. Abraham was a pagan hanging out doing pagan stuff. And then God does yank him out. But there are, there are 
people who are faithful to Yahweh yeah. at that time. And it just shows that it, it, this, this eth- ethnic people of Israel wasn't, wasn't ultimately the point. They were the microcosm like you talked about exactly. in, in the Romans 10 sermon. And I just, I, I think sometimes we preachers don't help people when we give them the sense that there's all this secret information that you have to have and possess in order to mm-hmm. understand this portion of the Bible. Yeah. I try to encourage our people to just read, read and let the story of God unfold incrementally for you. Mm-hmm. That's okay. I remember when I first started doing a expository preaching and I was meeting with my pastor, Brian Onkin, who was encouraging me in that direction. This was, you know, six years ago or more. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was encouraging me to take the people, our, our church, through the gospel of Mark. Which was literally when I showed up. That's literally when you <laughs> showed up. And I remember sitting with him in Starbucks, and he was talk, we were talking about this, and he was showing me, because I had never done this before. I'd mm-hmm. never done expository preaching. I said, if I go through the gospel of Mark this way, we're going we're gonna to be in the gospel of Mark for two two and a half years, and I will mm-hmm. only, and I held up, I pinched the pages of my Bible that are the gospel of Mark, front to back, hmm. and I held them up with the rest of the Bible laid open, and I said, in two and a half years, we will have only covered that much. Hmm. And he looked it back at me, and he said, well, at least they'll know that much. Yep. And that yeah. was like, yeah. whoa, ding, ding, ding. Maybe that is what we need to do here, is, is let the story of God unfold incrementally. And so for the last six years... We've gone through the Gospel of Mark, we've gone through Acts, mm-hmm. now we're going through Romans, and that's taken... We've we, gone through Ephesians and Nehemiah. We've gone, yeah, I did Colossians, I yep. did... Uh, Wait, uh, no, we didn't do Ephesians. No, I didn't do Sorry. Ephesians, I Sorry. did Colossians, I did Nehemiah, um, and so that's just been so good to just walk through that and let the Bible, let, let God unfold his story for us through the pages of scripture. And I think I want that reflected in my personal reading as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm, I wouldn't say if, if somebody really loves the structure of a read through the Bible in the, in a year plan, I'm not, I'm not disparaging that. Um, I just personally have found it better to um, live in a portion of scripture, chew on it, meditate on it, stew on it and and let that let that be sort of just led by the Lord really as to where I'm living but it wherever I am reading I'm reading through I'm I'm reading through and I'm walking through step by step and endeavoring to see mm-hmm. okay what is it that God's unfolding about himself in this book in this chapter in these verses right um you just mentioned Brian Onkin we've had the benefit of Brian doing some reading scripture classes mm-hmm. at Res. Uh, it's been three or four of them, hasn't it? It's, yeah, it's we've been done a lot. Three or four. Mm-hmm. Um, and and when I went through it, um, it was really cool to see lights going off. Mm-hmm. Where you know you had people who have been in church their whole lives, like getting choked up about the fact that oh, I I can just read it. Yep. Um, does, does he have anything online, like any online resources that people could go to like outlines or video presentations? I'm not sure exactly what's on his website in that regard, but you could go to the riverupstate.org. Um, the riverupstate.org. Maybe we can put that in the show notes. Um, and, and you will, 
you'll get there. Uh, you, you, I'm sure you'll get some resources, but I've also mentioned his book um, that he wrote called More Than His God Card, mm-hmm. which he goes through the miracles of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And the basic premise is that, you know, like John says, if, if we'd have written down all the miracles Jesus did, this, <laughs> yeah. the world couldn't contain the book. Yeah. But in the Gospels, we get these close-ups mm-hmm. of Jesus's miracles. And this is where I think the chapter headings in our Bibles don't help us because you might read, for example, that, well, Jesus heals a deaf and dumb man. Right. And you might conclude from that heading, well, I already know what's going to happen there. And you miss the fact that he just traveled to this certain area where a crowd gathered and then the heading splits and then he heals this guy and whatever. It's, it's the details matter, right? right? Because the, the, that miracle is a close-up. It's a zoom-in of the camera lens mm-hmm. on a particular thing Jesus did. And I think the details are there inspired by the Spirit to teach us something. Right. And so reading that book, someone just texted me Sunday after church and said, hey, can you recommend a devotional for me mm-hmm. to help me get started in Bible reading? And I recommended that book because in that mm-hmm. book, Brian takes those principles of reading scripture and applies them to the miracles of Jesus. And so I think it helps people read the Bible well. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it, it, may, it, it actually, when I read the book, it made me want to read the Bible. Yeah, And I love books like that, 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 that point me in that direction to read the Bible. John Piper's book, reading, reading the Bible supernaturally, fantastic book points me in that direction. And, and, and I would also recommend, uh, Piper's look at the book on his website, desiringgod.org, uh, could be really helpful to someone in their devotional reading as to how, how do we chew on a passage? Yeah. How do we connect the dots and see the points that are being made in a paragraph and how they relate to each other. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important. I found it helpful, you know, if I'm leading uh, like a devotional for my baseball team or something is, is to print out that passage and then start underlining and drawing circles and mm-hmm. arrows connecting stuff like that. Look at the book, like seeing him do that kind of helps me along, yeah. you know, with, with that same process. And I, I also like how Piper uh, talking about how he came into the more reformed stream of things, how he uh, he took uh, a sabbatical from being a seminary professor, mm-hmm. and he was like, pretty much all he read was the Book of Romans, <laughs> and, 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 and Romans the, nine, yeah, and Romans nine. He spent nine months on Romans nine, yeah, and and like he he just, he knew he had to chew on that, yeah. Um, and I, I just heard uh, Jeff Durbin talk about like when when he first became a Christian, it was it was you know. Uh, independent fundamentalist Baptist style KJV only super dispensational. And he would, he would base, he was one of those guys that would, you know, have the book of revelation open in one hand and a newspaper in the other and red heifer. Yeah. And, (laughs) and, and then he started, you know, he was challenged on that by a friend and all. And so all he read for the Bible every day for a month was the entire book of revelation. (laughs) And then it was like, wait a minute you know, this, this dispensational system, like there's so many inconsistencies here and, and all that kind of stuff. That's, it's not to rip on dispensationalists in general, but, (laughs) but you know, it's, it's, he, he was convicted of something and he's like, I have to get this right. And there's, there's a whole lot of benefit to that of reading one chapter or one book over and over until it finally clicks. Yeah. I think, you know, I, you know me, I'm hesitant to, be very disparaging of, you know, 
churches and pastors who have a different approach to right. teaching and Bible reading than we do. Right. There's nothing wrong with a topical sermon. We do topical. We do topical from time summer. to time. But you know, I had someone that they have been to Res I think one time before this past Sunday. Mm-hmm. And they live, um, this couple lives about 45, 50 minutes away from our church. Oh, wow. And um, they had been going to another church in our uh, in our area that was closer to where they live that's very much a topical mm-hmm. approach. I think it's a good church. I think the church is in a, in a much better place than where I knew it had been historically. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they do still take a very topical approach, um, pull verses from here and there to address a topic, and it, a lot of times using different translations. Oh, yeah. Um, it, it, in the same sermon. And this couple came up to me after church on Sunday and was just like, I, we'll see if they actually do it. But they said, we're going to start making the drive every Sunday because mm-hmm. we realize that we need this yeah. kind of teaching. We need this approach to the scripture. Right. And, and, and I think, I, I really think there's something to that, that every pastor and worship leader should consider, you know, mm-hmm. is that, you know, a song that we sing should obviously be rooted in scripture. Right. And wherever it's rooted in scripture, I think it's great. We've talked about this. It's great for every worship leader to know that portion of scripture to, to meditate yeah. on that yeah. portion of scripture. When we sing, mm-hmm. uh, he called when you called my name, I ran out of the, that grave. Mm-hmm. Like I'm thinking about Ephesians. Yeah. That, that's where my you were, mind you were is. dead in trespasses. You were and dead sins. in your trespasses and sins, but thanks be to God who's made according to his uh, mercy has made us alive to God in Christ. Yep. I mean, I'm thinking about that. Like there, there really is a one-to-one correlation in that. There really is. And I love when the songs we sing do that. Some yeah. songs do it more than others, but some take a little more artistic liberty. Like you even have some hymns that certainly good hymns. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it's, they're still pointing like, they're and pointing. it's a direct point most of the time. And I think, you know, before we endeavor to comment as in a worship set or, give an exhortation of some kind as we're leading worship. I think we should be, there should have been some thought put into that ahead of time as to where is our thinking going to be rooted in scripture Mm -hmm. as we walk through this set of worship songs. Right. Like that's, that's so important. It's why I love the way we, we read most Sundays. There are two different points in the worship set where we read a passage of scripture to help people connect the dots. And, um, so yeah, I think, I think systematic study of the Bible, uh, and don't let that word systematic scare you. Uh, you don't have to have a seminary degree. Um, Mm -hmm. you, you can just read the book and, you know, just a, I think I've said this before, but just a couple of little exhortations here, um, recognize what type of literature you're reading would be the first thing I would say. Yep. Am I reading something poetical? Am I reading something instructional? Or mm-hmm. am I reading a narrative? Mm-hmm. Just take those three basic things Yep. and let that, let that be your starting point. Because if it's poetical, I need to get a picture. Yep. I need to feel yep. something. Yep. I need to see something and experience something. If I'm reading a narrative, it's a story. Yep. And I want to pay attention to the details of the story. Yep. And, and the just as an aside with the poetic stuff is, is that typically includes prophecy too. It does. So, so when, when the, when 
you know, Isaiah talks about, you know, the moon turning to blood. Exactly. It, it, the moon isn't literally going to turn to blood and it doesn't necessarily mean it turns red. Like, exactly. like some judgment type of language, like under understand how they're communicating. Yeah. And we do that in normal everyday language we too. Do it. We do it. We listen to a song and we, we, we capture the feel of the song. Yep. You yep. know, we look at a painting or a piece of artwork and we, we, we bask in the emotion of that. And that's what you want to do with prophecy, Psalms, uh, even the parables of Jesus, uh, certain portions of revelation. When you read a narrative, you want to read the story. When you read instructional passages like the epistles, the way the way I go at those is I look for what's the question that's being asked and mm-hmm. the answer that's being given. Yep. Uh, there's always a question and there's always an answer that is right. the instruction. And right. so if you go at it that way, you're going to have some really rich times in God's word that are going to be fun, not boring, and you will be able to understand it. Yeah, and and with with those epistles too, another way that you can think of those is is you have the gospels providing the narrative, mm-hmm. and then a lot of times the epistles provide the the explanation of the what you see in the gospels. Yeah, you know, and that you know kind of shows how uh, how a lot of people who call themselves red letter Christians, like where they get imbalanced, is well, no, we have these other books that explain <laughs> what's exactly. going on there. Exactly. Um, so let's let's do our uh, recommendations in front of the Inquisition right here. Um, let's even say what translations do we recommend and mm-hmm. and maybe what translations would we steer clear of? Uh, because there's there's some really, really good translation. And then there's some dumpster fires. Out there, there are. Um, so I know at res we use the ESV. Yeah, uh, that's what I use at home yep. typically. Yeah. Um, anything else for you? I I mean ESV, NASB, um, King James. If you like that, yeah, uh, and New King James, uh, because those are more word for word translations. Yeah. That, that's what I would recommend. Obviously, yeah. New King James, NASB, and ESV are going to be more readable than mm-hmm. KJV. But KJV is not bad. It's right. really not, right. um, especially considering what they had to work with. Exactly. Like it's, it's really a a feat of scholasticism. That's right. Anything in like NIV, New Living, mm-hmm. um, you got to be careful with those. It's not yeah. that they're bad or wicked, um, but they're what's called dynamic equivalent translation. So yep. instead of translating word for word, they're translating thought for thought. And sometimes important details get lost in those. So I don't, you know, I read, sometimes I read NIV with my children. Yeah. Um, and I think that's okay. Um, but if, if adults, I always recommend going with ESV. Mm-hmm. NASB is a little harder. It's clunkier. It's a little clunkier, um, but it's not bad. But ESV is probably the most readable um, word-for-word translation mm-hmm. we have out there, in my opinion. Yeah. So that's what I would recommend. Yeah, the uh, the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible, which is kind of a lofty name to give itself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is the standard for Christians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, but it's one of those where it's kind of in between the ESV and stuff like the NIV, yeah. uh, where it's, it's definitely closer to the word-for-word than the NLT or something like that. But it's they make it a little... They make it flow a little more yeah. than the ESV because the ESV still has some portions where it can get clunky. Yeah. Um, 
you know, of course, technically there's no such thing as word for word because we wouldn't be able to read it. No, no, that's true. That's <laughs> because true. of how Greek reads. That's right. Um, what to stay away from? I mean, um, people people talk about the message. Um, mm-hmm. That's that's a hot button one. It's a hot button one. And here's my take on the message. I don't think it's bad to read it. Right. But I think what you need to, to understand is that in reading the message, I'm, I like Eugene Peterson. Right, like, right. I know he can be controversial in some things, but I've really enjoyed a lot of his books. Um, but when when I read the message, what I'm thinking about is I'm, re, I'm basically reading a Eugene Peterson sermon. I'm reading yeah. a commentary. Yeah. I'm not... I can't, which is, which is how he wanted it to be read. That's how he wanted it to be read. And some people read that and give it the same weight right. as the canon, as the inspired word of God. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think that you're in dangerous territory at that point. Yeah. You've got to read it and, and, and literally, I think, have opened the ESV and the or the NASB or whatever alongside it because it, it's it's the equivalent of a of a commentary. It's it's not even on the chart of or the spectrum between word for word and thought for thought. Right. You know, it's you can't even really call it dynamic equivalent. It's mm-hmm. it's it's sort of in a category all its own. Right. And I think as long as you know that, it's not bad yep. to read it. Yep. But you just got to treat it for what it and, is. And there's there's going to be times where Peterson missed it, but there's yeah. also there's also some passages where Peterson's explanations can really open things up for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so I think if you treat it that way, don't give it the same weight as uh, you, you do the, um, the inspired words of scripture, because, you know, my words are not inspired. I say this pretty regularly when I preach, you know, my words are not the words that matter most. Mm -hmm. My, my, my words only have power to the degree that I speak well of the text itself. Right. And so I think the message can be helpful, but you just got to be careful with it. Yeah. Uh, One other translation I would say to avoid is the passion translation. Yeah. I couldn't remember what that was called, but that's a, that's no, no, no bueno. Yeah. It's just throw it away. (laughs) It's, it it might actually be worse than uh, the new world translation. The Jehovah's witnesses one really because well, one, he adds a lot of words to try and make it fit with his paradigm. Uh, It ends up being like 15 to 20% longer. And I've, I've put up the same passages side by side on Bible gateway. Mm. Um, And on top of that, he claims that Jesus showed up in his bedroom, breathed on him and hand delivered (laughs) this translation. So that should tell you everything you need to know. Uh, Just stay away from that one. So NASB, ESV, CSB, uh, NIV for, for some stuff. Yeah. Just be careful with it. Yeah. And, Um, And then as a commentary, the message is fine. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I would say. And then uh, books, or even or even Bible uh, versions, not versions, but journaling Bibles, study Bibles, stuff like that. Yeah. So I have um, what's called the uh, what is it called that Bible that I have? Um, that one right there. No, it's oh. um, the inductive Bible. Mm. Is that I think what it's called? I don't know. It's just, just the New Testament, and it's got space between the lines. Oh yeah, it's not a journaling Bible with the column on the side, but it's mm-hmm. got space in between the lines, so you can write, connect dots, draw lines, okay, yeah. underline. It's, it's ample space to do that. It's just the New Testament, and that's put out I think by Crossway, um, and that's a really 
I, I that I go to that Bible for my personal yeah. devotion and study for sermon prep. Mm-hmm. That like when I'm in the New Testament, that's the one I'm reading. Yeah. So I, I really enjoy that. Another one I have right there is um I think it's called the Reader's Bible, and it takes out all the chapter headings, all the verse numbers. Yep. It only has chapter numbers, mm-hmm. and so it reads like a book. So you just flow. Yeah, yeah. and and I use that when I'm reading narrative a lot. Um, yeah, and I'll just because it helps me think story, mm-hmm. uh, and and it also with the chapter headings removed, I don't make assumptions. Yep. I, I just read. And so that's a great Bible. The journaling Bibles are great. Um, yeah, we, we have the same one. Yep. That that little brown ESV journaling Bible with the column on the side. That's the one I use primarily for Old Testament study. Okay. Because my, my inductive Bible I use for New Testament. But mm-hmm. that one, that's a great Bible to have. Um, so, yeah, I would also recommend a good Bible dictionary. Um, you don't need a host, a library full of commentaries to read the Bible well, but I do think... A good Bible dictionary mm-hmm. is helpful. Just when you see words uh, that you, you don't know what that means, you see a reference to a person, yep. you don't know who that is. Mm-hmm. A good Bible dictionary will give you just a little bit of background and context to help you go, oh, okay, now I see why that's yep. there. Yep. Um, I'm a big fan of Ligonier's Reformation Study Bible. I have one of those. Yep. Yeah, and it's you know it's got the commentary at the, at the bottom. Um, it also has essays interspersed on core doctrine stuff like justification by faith alone, the deity of Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, it also has at the beginning of every book, if you want that information, you can delve into when was this book written, uh, if it was an epistle, who was it written to, or a prophet for that matter. Um, what are some different views even on the authorship? Um, so if, if, you know, like there's a lot of people that'll say that, well, a lot of the more liberal scholars will say that there were three authors of Isaiah, for for instance, and they'll actually address that, um, just stuff like that. And then in the back, um, it has (laughs) a ton of stuff. It's got the Westminster confession and catechism. It's got the 1689 London Baptist confession. It has Nicene Chalcedonian and apostles creeds. Mm -hmm. So, so if you, if you have a question about any of those things, you can just flip to the back. There it is. Let me read the apostles creed. Yep. You know, and uh, so that I, I just think that's really cool to have all that condensed into one book. The the only caution I would give, and I love the Reformation Study Bible. I love R.C. Yeah. Sproul. Yeah. Um, the only caution I would give is that when you when you've got a Bible that has all this other stuff right. in it, you can get focused on all that other stuff. It's so easy for your eyes to fall to the commentary at the bottom of right. the page, right. as opposed to the words themselves. And right. You should you should use that commentary. Like if maybe if you're stumped, yep. maybe if you want a little more on that, it's it's not something to use as your primary. Right. <laughs> it's like means. it's like you know the people that play words with friends, you know Scrabble or whatever, and and, and they cheat. They yeah they <laughs> cheat. You know, I don't. I wouldn't make an apples to apples comparison to that, but you, know, you get stuck on something, and then you're like, "Well, let me just take these letters and do a Google search and see what word I could come up yeah, with." Yeah, yeah. And, and so, like, I just think that you you should spend time wrestling with the text, spend time thinking about it, even when you're stumped. Don't just immediately jump to a commentary or you know a study bible with someone's explanation of it don't immediately go to that it's not not to say don't ever go to it but just don't immediately mm-hmm. go to it give your you know ask the holy spirit to help you yeah. spend time meditating get a bible dictionary look up words you don't know what they mean and and start to think because i think 
that's where Bible reading really gets fun. Yeah. And, and life giving when you do that. And if you just jump to commentaries, um, sometimes I think we miss out, um, on the joy and we get dependent on those Mm -hmm. things. And a lot of times people will jump into like Matthew Henry, who's super flowery in his language with mile long paragraphs, which he's a good commentary. But at the same time, like that's, that's not (laughs) stuff for a, a, a newcomer to the faith. Yeah. I, the more, the, the more I read the Bible this way, the less commentary I use. Like mm-hmm. I, I really don't use a lot of commentaries when I, right. when I preach anymore, I really just try to connect dots with the text. And I might, I might go to a, a look at the book just mm-hmm. to see if pipe, if way I'm thinking Piper agrees with, that kind of helps me feel better sometimes. <laughs> like if I, if I connect this and this and this and I go, okay, I think this is what it's saying. Let me just make sure that, that, and I don't think that's wrong. That right. pastors I trust right. that are more seasoned than I am uh, could, would affirm that the way I'm thinking is, mm-hmm. is, is in line. I think yeah. that's a good thing to do. All right. Shall we uh, take a quick break and then hit the inquisition real quick? Sure. Sweet. Does God run out of patience? How do we bridge the gap between understanding and application of Scripture? How do I deal with my kids who have left the faith? Does God forget our sin? Join the discussion on all these topics and more on the All 7 Days podcast, where Stan, who also happens to be my dad, and Trevor take your questions and answer them from the perspective of a couple of church members just having a discussion about spiritual matters. Subscribe to the All 7 Days podcast today on Apple, Google, Spotify, Overcast, or your other favorite podcast listening platform and check out all7days.com. Inquisition for this week, Gordon Hazel starts, there's a lot of discussion about Christianity and the bad art associated with it. What does good art look or sound like? What distinguishes the Christian artist when it's good art? That's a really good question because I think I think back to like the time around the Reformation, even before the Reformation where, yeah, Rome was, was technically getting, well, not even technically, but they were getting, you know, kind of awry, mm-hmm. but they commissioned really good art mm. and and it was kind of expected that the best music and the best visual art was going to come from from the church yeah and now we've kind of gotten to this place in american christianity where it's um I don't remember who I was listening to, but it was basically, you know, that's not going to sell because the 29 year old soccer mom with three kids in a minivan isn't going to listen to that song. (laughs) And that that's how so much art is treated, whether whether it's music or whether it's movies where the movies ultimately are just a bait and switch for a cheap gospel presentation with the sinner's prayer at the end. Um, I think what we have to do is instead of focusing on kind of this bait and switch mentality is, is be a Christian and make good art. If you're living out the worldview that the Bible presents, that's going to come out in the art in one way or another. Yeah. 
And that might end up being uh, painting a realistic landscape instead of a Thomas Kincaid painting where it looks like the house is on fire inside. (laughs) Or, Or if it's a song then then maybe you maybe some of your songs sound like the imprecatory psalms mm-hmm. um instead of everything being upbeat and happy clappy yeah there's nothing wrong with upbeat and happy yeah. clappy but if every single song is super upbeat then there might be a problem yeah. because it doesn't allow for the full breadth of human emotions which god gave us yeah i think that's great i mean i I'm hesitant to comment a whole lot because I, I don't I don't feel like I'm a really good critic of art. Sure. Like I, I mean, you do play that Tupac piano riff all the time. Exactly. But. <laughs> I, I just I, I don't I, I think I certainly appreciate good art, um, but I, I wouldn't say that I'm a really good critic of it. Um, but I think to we all know this for art to be good, it's got to come from a place of genuine emotion and feeling yes and and art that's god honoring has got to come from genuine emotion and feeling that's that's stemming from the revelation of god and the truth and his word and so uh that's a hard thing to judge um but i i think that's a that's a great question um and it's something that we you know i don't know like i think the 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 theme and topic of today is read the bible yeah. <laughs> right. And I think the more we live in the scripture, the more we're going to be able to judge rightly things like art yeah. and commentaries yeah. and translations and um, books that are written about the Bible, mm-hmm. books that are written about God and about the Christian life. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, this is, to me, one of the most problematic things in the body of Christ today is that we, we, have, we, we have such a weak filter, scriptural yeah. filter. Yeah. For all things that aren't scripture, you know, yep. to be able to go into Barnes and Noble, for example, I mean, <sighs> most people don't, I, I guess, don't buy books at bookstores anymore. I don't know. Maybe they are again. But, you know, you go in there and you go to the Christian section and you look at the swath that's in there. Oh, man. Yeah. Sometimes I go over there and I, I see the heading up above the shelves and it says, you know, Christian living or no, it's Christian not. literature. And I'm going, <laughs> half of this isn't, you know, half, 75% of this, I wouldn't tell people to stay away from. Yeah. And I, and I don't, I don't, I'm not one of these ones that's just, you know, trying to be critical of anybody and everybody. But I'm telling right. you, if you don't, as b- believers, not just pastors, read scripture well. Mm hmm. Our filter for art and everything else is going to be incredibly weak. There's, there's, we've also kind of lost the ability to have nuance in those conversations, just like with politics, which that'll be in the next question. That'll, that'll be fun for you, Bradley. Okay. Um, but we've, we've lost the ability to be nuanced where I can listen to a song and be like, one, that's cheesy mm-hmm. or incorrect, or two, maybe I just don't like it. Yeah. And that's okay to Sorry. say, uh, like you, <laughs> whenever I show you a death metal rendition of how great thou art, you don't really like it. No. <laughs> you can appreciate the fact yeah. That there's there's great musicality. Uh, mm-hmm. Sorry, that's that's kind of an inside joke here at Res, um, but you can appreciate the musicality of it. You can appreciate the fact that there is talent involved, but you don't care for the style. That's exactly. okay to say. That's right. Um, and people don't need to get hung up of well, why don't you like? Well, I just don't like it. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. I mean, there are songs that that moved me in incredible ways. Yep. Twenty years ago. Mm-hmm. 
that I look back on them now and I go, that's cheesy. That's there. There's, there's, there's something shallow there. And I don't, I don't disparage those emotions that I felt 20 years ago. Oh, yeah. I think God uses, um, you know, sometimes think he, uh, not sometimes he, a lot of times he uses very imperfect songs and art to, to draw people to himself and, and, and move our hearts towards him. I think that's certainly possible, mm-hmm. but I think that, you you can't have that in, in you know isolated. You've got to yep. couple that with the truth of the Word of God, um, so that we, we don't live we don't live by experiences alone. And what is art and music about? It's about an experience, and and we have to have both experience and truth, the Word of God working together in our lives. And so that that's about as far as I'm going to go with art art criticism. Yeah. So uh, our boy Corey Truax. Who, who, who has been on this show before. Go back and listen to that one. It was a great episode. Mm. Uh, he helped us think through the Christian worldview and how we engage in politics. Um, boy can bench like 250 pounds yeah, or something. Yeah. And I think, I mean, he to me, he looks like one of those guys that has to jump around in the shower to get wet. I yeah, mean, right. He's so skinny. <laughs> I saw a video of him on Facebook, like yeah. throwing up some weight. Yeah. He, Way to yeah. go, Corey. Yeah. At a boy, Corey. And he, he also has his own podcast, The Corey Truax Show. A uh, mm-hmm. really good podcast. Uh, committed to smarter, deeper, better talk is his tagline, <laughs> which I, I concur. You are committed to that, Corey. Yep, so he definitely. said that he posted for a Christian, if you value the national anthem more than the Apostles Creed, you have a gigantic problem. One of the responses he got was, no, I can have both. Just like mom and dad said, some things just go together like cookies and milk. I would enjoy any response to that jewel of wisdom. <laughs> no. <laughs> so creed above the anthem is what you're saying. Yeah. It's, it, it's what we don't want to do is, is rip on anybody who is patriotic. No, um, no certainly not. like I, I don't consider myself particularly patriotic. Like I'm not, I'm not a flag waver or anything like that. Um, I also get a little bit confused as to why we have to sing the national anthem before we play sports. It just kind of seems weird to me, but I'm not going to like, I'm not going to make fun of people while they're standing with their hands on their heart. No. Um, but the truth is expressed in the apostles creed infinitely outweigh yeah. what is sung in the national anthem. Yeah. When, you know, the narrative of God and country yeah. All right. Um, it's done a lot of harm to the church, I think. It, it has for this reason, I think, is that we put them on the same plane. Right. And you can't do that. I, I'd like it, it's it, it's not that I'm against people who are for God and country as long as they're not equally for God and mm-hmm. country. Right. You, you 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 our American citizenship has to, you know, has to find its place way down the priority list when it comes to, um, you know, our citizenship in the kingdom of heaven. I mean, it's just, you, you, I just don't, I don't think that's helpful. I don't think that's wise. I don't think that's good um, to elevate the national anthem to the same place as I would something like the Apostles' Creed. Yeah. I, I just, you know, uh, Corey thinks way better about these things, I think, than I do, um, just in the little bit of interaction I've had with him. I appreciate his perspective on, you know, the church's struggle in America in particular to give the proper weight 
to our Christianity and our American citizenship. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think we should be grateful for where we live. I think we should be, you know, I, when I go, I went to the Clemson game um, versus Georgia Tech this past week. And when the national anthem was sung, I stood and I put my hand over my heart. Mm-hmm. And it, what's in my mind at that point is that I'm grateful for where I live. Sure. And but that that is not anywhere close. And and if and if they didn't do the national anthem, you I'm sure you wouldn't freak out about it. No, I wouldn't freak yeah. out about it. But I mean, you know, it, it, I'm grateful for where I live. Um, and but that that in no way compares to the kind of emotion and allegiance that I feel when the Apostles' Creed is read, when "How Great Thou Art" is sung. Mm-hmm. Uh, when the the scripture is opened and you know it's we, we we declare and affirm at res every week this is the word of god for the people of god thanks be to god mm-hmm. that that kind of allegiance is in a whole nother realm than yep. my american patriotism oh yeah oh yeah so last question from brian morris this this is a good question, actually. Uh, why do people flip out when theologically solid preachers preach at questionable conferences, but not when Christian musicians tour with que- questionable musicians? Are they not all taking the opportunity to evangelize? I'm not saying there isn't concern, but it seems a little hypocritical. Uh, and he gives examples such as Francis Chan at The Send or teaming up with uh, guys like Mike Bickle and Todd White or the current controversy with uh, Jackie Hill Perry uh, hanging out with Christine Kane and Jen Johnson. And then in the past, he references uh, Matt Chandler at the Code Orange revival with the famous You're Not David sermon. Mm-hmm. Um, so actually, I'm just going to read a comment that my wife, Kristen, posted because I thought it was really good. Uh, she said, we actually talked about this last night a little bit. If we're just comparing Matt Chandler at Code Orange versus what Jackie Hill Perry said, there's a really big difference. Uh, Chandler went in basically with a sledgehammer of truth against some of the things being preached at Elevation and wasn't invited back. From what I understand about Perry, she said she is preaching alongside people she considers true Christians with some doctrinal disagreements and basically told told everyone off that was worried about it, Uh, which makes me conclude that there is a substantial gap between these two situations and therefore they are to be judged differently. I wouldn't say Perry is a heretic because of this, but she's on my radar for people I'm a little bit wary of at the moment until more time plays out on both this and what she says in the future, which I think is a pretty balanced approach to it is, you know, you've got you know, really problematic people that would be on the shelf that we would tell people to avoid in Barnes and Noble. Right. Um, And then we've got people that we really respect saying, yeah, these are awesome. And I mean, she, she kind of got pretty salty, (laughs) you know, in all honesty with her response. Yeah. Um, But at the same time, we're not saying Jackie O'Perry is a heretic. Like I'm I'm not going to go there because she has proven She's pretty solid. Uh, Keith and I actually talked about this some yesterday, Mm -hmm. um, the other pastor here. And this is a question mark for me that I'm I'm trying to pray through and wrestle through because there's no, you know, like when when the question was raised do gentiles who are becoming christians have to be circumcised you know there mm-hmm. was a council in jerusalem that right. weighed, and then there was you know sort of a, a um 
a declaration that was that was given from you know um, the apostles that mm-hmm. you know and we don't really have a, a governing body that uh, of elders that mm-hmm. shepherds the whole body of Christ. You know, right. we're, we're, you've got, you've got these different streams and then you've got people that we feel like are outside the stream and then you, you get some of them interacting and we want to judge those interactions. And it's really hard to be consistent. Yeah. It's really hard because Piper has been on the docket with some people that are questionable before. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you mentioned the example of Matt Chandler coming to preach at code orange revival. And, uh, yeah, he did come with a hammer um, a grace, but, a grace filled hammer, a grace filled hammer. But, you know, is it is it if, if if a Piper or a Chandler or even Jackie Hill Perry ends up on a, in a lineup of speakers, some of which are questionable, is. Is what they are supposed to do in that moment is um, go after the people, the other people on the docket that preach questionable things, or are they, mm-hmm. are they just called by God to preach truth that, that he's leading them to preach in that moment right. and, and let the word of God bear fruit and increase wherever it goes. I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's, it's a really hard thing and I don't envy people like Francis Chan and others who are getting vi- invited to all these mm-hmm. places where there, people don't seem to see the difference. Right. Like, I don't, I don't understand how some people don't see the difference between someone like a Joel Osteen and someone like John Piper. Right. And some people listen to both and, and have this great appreciation for both. And I, I struggle to see how that is even possible. I do, too, because, possible. because like, they, they objectively don't have the same message. They really don't. And I, d- does that mean that the people that are listening to both are not in Christ and not? No, I don't think so. Not necessarily. I just think that um, they're, they're, this is a big question mark, I think, in the modern Christian world is you know, we, we've sort of played nice with everybody historically. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically now, as long as you're not Catholic and you say the name Jesus, yeah, you're okay. That's right. Particularly in America, that's been the case. Yeah. And, and now, um, I think, I think it's a good thing that people are reading their Bibles more critically. They're people, people, there's so much more resource out there now than there, there was 20, 30 years mm-hmm. ago. Uh, I think I think the body of Christ, by and large, is more educated uh, scripturally than we right. were, and that's a good thing. And it's raising questions. Now we've got to determine how do we deal with situations like this. Right. And I can't say that I know the answer fully, um, but I'll go back to what our main topic is today: read your Bible. Oh yeah, read your yeah. Bible and and be like the Bereans in Acts seventeen. That when Paul preached, they searched the scriptures for themselves mm-hmm. to see if these things are so. And I, I would rather lead people in that direction than I would to say let's completely write off Jackie Hill Perry because of where she spoke. Right. I think that that to me is jumping to a conclusion that I don't think is necessary or helpful. What we need to do is scrutinize her along with everyone else, myself included, according to scripture. And are they preaching the truth, you know, Mm -hmm. and let our filters get strong enough and, and, and rooted in scripture enough that we're able to distinguish uh, between the two, because the people that are planning these conferences, I'm not sure what their mindset is or approach is when you invite the likes of John Piper and Bill Johnson to the, I'm not saying they spoke together, uh, but if, if you were to do that, right. 
you're missing something if you think mm-hmm. you're presenting the same message. Right. And so I, I think Christians need to be aware of that. I think I think what's causing a lot of the confusion and a lot of even the angst is is so Chandler went and went to Code Orange and everybody kind of knew it wasn't going to be like an endorsement mm-hmm. uh, where whereas Chan and Perry have been endorsing people saying, yeah, these people are great mm-hmm. uh, and they're and they're brothers and sisters. And, yeah, they're a little weird, but and, and it's and it's it's almost like they're conflating that side of things with traditional charismatic and Pentecostal teachers where, where we see a, a big difference between our charismatic brothers mm-hmm. and then the where it just goes beyond the pale where Bethel is quote unquote taking trips to heaven in their Sunday school. Like that's astral transportation people. (laughs) Come on. Um, So, so you have people, I actually listened to a podcast where this, this lady was getting questions from new believers saying, you know, I've been listening to Jackie Hill Perry. Are these people good too? Because she's endorsing them. Well, and that's the, that's where, what responsibility to the, these people have to, to, to be fully aware, I, you know, I think I wonder sometimes if Jackie Hill Perry, if the likes of Jackie Hill Perry are fully aware of what some of these other people are right. teaching. I don't know. Maybe right. they are. Maybe they aren't. Um, but being responsible as someone who's a well-known speaker to be careful what you give the impression that you're endorsing right. Um, right. is 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 something that they 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 should be mindful of. And uh, yeah, I think it's an issue. It's it's a it's something we, we we're struggling to be consistent with, mm-hmm. um, and because I don't think we have a standard, you know, we don't. There's mm-hmm. not a defined line around the people who call themselves Christians uh, and yet preach things that are heresy, uh, coupled with, you know, uh, to my knowledge, Bill Johnson hasn't come out and said that that Jesus Christ is one among many ways to heaven. Mm-hmm. To my knowledge, he hasn't said that. Right. Uh, so he would preach the cross. He would preach, I think, salvation uh, through by grace through faith in Jesus. Mm-hmm. And yet, they would have all these other things that we go, "Whoa, wait a minute!" Right. Well, as 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 far as I'm aware, and listening to people like Lindsay Davis, who caused kind of a stink in the Bethel world when she was kicked out of their school for mm. preaching the gospel, mm. is is that they don't present that in any real substantive. Senses. Maybe they don't. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, and it, and it was like a like an Osteen sermon I, I listened to recently, and there were absolutely zero mentions of Jesus until a little sinner's prayer at the end. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so I think I think when you have stuff like that, where in in that hyper, I don't like using the term hyper charismatic because they're not really charismatic. It's something different. Um, like it, I think that gives our, our charismatic friends a bad name. It does. Um, but yeah, the kids, see here, here's where, and it's one of my beefs with the, the stream of Pentecostalism that I grew up in Yeah, yeah, yeah. is that there, there haven't been, um, clearly defined marks of what that movement was and what it was. That's true. That's true. In fact, like I, I, I attended a conference Uh, of a national conference of the International Pentecostal Holiness Church probably 10 years ago or more. Yeah. And the guy that passed, Seth Kane, that was on the Mm -hmm. uh, podcast with us several episodes ago, was with me. 
And he stood up in the conference because it was a it was a plenary session and, you know, motions were being made and what have you. And he stood up and made a motion that the International Pentecostal Holiness Church draft a statement uh, against the prosperity gospel and the word of faith yeah, movement yeah. to distinguish us from that. Mm-hmm. And that motion, what it just, uh, you could hear the groan in the room because, mm-hmm. and here's the thing, because there were well-known, well-liked, very popular preachers who preached that message that right. they don't want to distance themselves from, you know, they don't they, like it, it, it becomes, it's like, you know, there was an article I, I read about um, that was written about the whole Todd Bentley scandal that's come out lately. Man, that is a mess. And it was written by a P- Pentecostal charismatic mm-hmm. writer who said the Pentecostal charismatics, he was referring, he's, he himself is one. He said, we are addicted to hype mm-hmm. and emotion and experience at the expense of truth. Yep. And character, mm-hmm. and that to me is is the greatest weakness of the Pentecostal charismatic movement in general. Sure, yeah, um, and and there just haven't been clearly defined lines, and and you know, what are we willing to associate with, and what we're not? That that is a that's a, that's a sticky thing, um, and I think we certainly need to be careful. But I would be hesitant to dismiss or. You know, like like your wife said, I, w- I wouldn't label Jackie Hill Perry a heretic. No, not at all. Not at all. Um, but should we have question marks about her being there? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Should we have question marks? Yes. About Chan being there? Yeah. We should add the same question marks about Matt Chandler being there yeah. at, at Code Orange Revival, regardless of what he preached. I mean, does that? I mean. Are people able to see the difference in the message he preached versus the one T.D. Jakes preached the next night? Right. 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 Uh, and and I guess to bring it full circle uh, in regards to uh, musicians, um, so say Reliant K in their heyday going on tour with someone like Weezer, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, a, a band that was in the Christian stream at the time and then a band that's always been general market secular market to kind of thing. Um, well, they're, they're going on the basis of entertainment. Um, and may, you know, maybe you do draw lines of, you know, maybe certain people have made statements. Uh, I probably, if, if my band was, this isn't going to happen, but if my band was offered a a touring spot with someone like behemoth (laughs) where where they take as many opportunities to be as blasphemous as possible on their albums, probably not going to take that. It's probably a terrible idea. We might get murdered by their fans. (laughs) I don't know. So that's, I think, I think that's kind of a, a different situation really than speaking and endorsing Mm -hmm. at conferences. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Uh, so, uh, we already did our recommended stuff. So, I guess on that in that case, follow us and comment on Facebook and Instagram. Subscribe on iTunes and Spotify. And leave a five-star review. and support the show at Anchor.fm. You pledge $10 a month for a year. You get your choice of Piper Drive version 2 or the Wickliffe Fuzz. We'll leave you with Wolves at the Gate. Thanks for listening. <laughs>